Welcome to Friendly Words, a sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, August 8, 2021. It focuses on getting things right in your innermost being. The message to all who will listen is those who are part of Jesus' kingdom live with humility and serve others for God's glory alone. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. I'm like, don't. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord. I laugh every time I watch that video. My favorite is, you guys are making me look bad in front of God. And the flapping of the arms is pretty good, too. Yes, I'm glad I don't have a robe to make me look like a, I don't know, like I'm flying away. Dan is definitely the worst. Thankfully, there's not a Dan here, but I have several friends named Dan, and I always send them this video. Every time I meet a new Dan, I have to send it to them. So, anyway. It's funny precisely because... Is there any preacher who would do that? Not in reality. You know, the, the rule is you confront privately and praise in public. Have you ever been in a situation where someone's getting raked over the coals by someone who's in authority? You ever been in that situation? Maybe if you were on a sports team in high school or middle school, someone on the team wasn't measuring up and the coach laid into them. Or maybe it happened in the classroom, a teacher was just frustrated because everybody kept talking while they were talking, and they called out somebody by name. Perhaps you had a loud-mouthed boss who liked to make examples of slackers. Whatever the setting, watching another person get taken to task is not much fun. I remember a speech in high school, I call it a speech, it was more of a diatribe, in high school that my band director made during my sophomore year. The brass section, of which I was a part, was kind of screwing around while he was working with the woodwinds and he got fed up with it. He started yelling, and I quote, the picnic is over, the picnic is over. As he repeated the phrase over and over and over and over again, we tried our best to look serious and not let a giggle out. 
Unfortunately for one of the trumpet players, he lost it. And our band director started yelling at this person. Richard Orr! Richard Orr, the picnic is over! Do you hear me, Richard Orr? The picnic is over! I think I got that just about right, the inflection and everything. It was suddenly not so hard to stifle laughter because he was naming names, and we knew we were next if we weren't careful. None of us trombone players on the back row wanted to have those glares and those words spoken against us as they had been against Richard or our trumpet-playing friend. A little side note, it was probably the trombones that started this whole thing. So Matthew chapter 23 is sort of a Dan's the worst, Richard Orr, the picnic is over moment in Jesus's life. Jesus lays into the religious elite of his day, the guys who have been trying day and night to trap him. The last time I was preaching, we talked about how they kept asking trapping questions and trying to get Jesus to trip on some little detail of theology. And so Jesus turns around in Matthew chapter 23 and begins naming names. And he points out the deceitful actions, the way that these guys are acting, these guys who claim to be so upright, how their hearts are far from God. He calls them play actors, fighting words, but honest, and we must say they were to the point. So as we look at Matthew chapter 23, this chapter affords us an opportunity to examine ourselves. We all had this tendency to be hypocrites. I do. You do. I'm guessing. So let's listen and hear what God may have to say to us and not just point fingers at those religious scumbags that ask Jesus questions. Jesus' opening remarks are found in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 23, and they're directed to those who have just witnessed this interrogation that's taken place. He's talking to the crowds, he's talking to the disciples, he's talking to everybody except these teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who have tried to trip him up, although I'm sure that they're there and they're listening because we'll see that when we get to verse 13. But we're going to start at verse 1 and read through verse 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries long and their tassels of their garment wide. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah." The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's a lot to consider here, isn't there? Our master's words are pointed. They are especially pointed for those who dare to take on the task of teaching and preaching. When I read these words, I'm confronted with some tough questions. Do I tie up heavy burdens and place them on your shoulders? while ignoring the same word from God. 
Do I do what I do to be seen in public or gain praise? Do I look for honor among men? Do I seek to be exalted? Those are questions that Jesus' words ought to bring up for everybody who preaches God's word. I hope my answer to these is no all the time, but I know me. And sometimes in my heart, yeah, there's pride sneaks in there once in a while. And I have to rebuke it and say, nope, no more. I've been prideful more than once, and I've been tempted to seek honor and exaltation, and I've been, wow, aren't I great? It's dumb, but it happens in my heart sometimes. God, help me to overcome and escape these things, these traps of the devil. So, lest you think Jesus' words are only relevant for pastors and teachers, let's talk about this. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you always practice what you preach? Yeah, you probably like to point at other people whose sins are different than yours. I mean, it seems like everybody in the church today likes to pick on homosexuals. You call gay men and lesbians to reject impurity, but are your thoughts, are your actions right? Are you always pure? Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says this to you and me and to all who will listen. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So are you living up to the standard of purity that you lay on the shoulders of others? I'm not saying that Jesus would not speak against other sins. I'm just saying he wouldn't let any of us off the hook. We are called to purity, and the level of purity that he calls us to is by far higher than any of us can attain on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's help to overcome all temptation. Take care of your sin, the plank in your eye. You remember that? Then you can help your brother or sister in Christ deal with theirs. It's not wrong to confront sin. It's wrong to condemn others while ignoring your own faults. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should be silent on issues of morality. I'm saying that we must always do so lovingly, knowing our own shortcomings, our weaknesses, our faults, the places where we trip in our sins. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Then there's the issue of doing things with a desire to be seen and praised by others. I remember a talking to that we got during a spring break choir tour when I was at Berkeley College years ago. The president of the college at that time instructed us not to fish for compliments after a concert because we would say to people in the congregation, so how did you like our performance or how did you like our program? His words have stuck with me and they remind me to guard against seeking the accolades of those who hear me preach or sing or whatever I've done for the church. Make sure that you're not seeking praise from men, but rather from God. Again, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount warns, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. All for God's glory and for his glory alone. That's the attitude we're to have. Do you hear what the Spirit is saying? Finally, let's address Jesus' words about fancy titles. 
I'll be honest, I have struggled with this through the years. It makes me feel uncomfortable when anyone addresses me with any kind of fancy term. I prefer to be called Mike without any title. There was a man, a part of a singing group that came to our church regularly when we were in Indiana, who loved to call me Reverend. (laughs) I repeatedly, over and over, tried to get him to stop, but he kept using this horrifying, to me, honorific. He'd say, I'm just trying to show you respect, and I think I held my tongue, but I thought every time, if you want to show respect, do what I want you to do, please. Anyway, may God apply his word to your heart. If he's speaking to you, don't miss what he's saying. Let him correct you. I'm reminded of James's words to the church. What I'm reading is the first verse of James chapter 3. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. God, help us all to remember our place in the kingdom. We are all servants of the king, and we bow before him, and we look to him for his goodness and bring glory to him. Remember Jesus' words? We read them just a minute ago in Matthew 23, and this is uh, verses 11 and 12. It says, The greatest among you must be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The call to humility is the call to humility in all things. May we heed his call. We especially need a humble attitude as we continue on in Matthew chapter 23. Our pride could cause us, if we're not careful, to imagine ourselves as better than the fakers that Jesus confronts in the next verses. We dare not think ourselves better than them. In our flesh, without the Holy Spirit's help, we could each fall into the sins of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that Jesus is going to call out. The old saying, there but for the grace of God go I also, it applies. Having warned the common folks and his disciples about the done-for-all to see righteousness of their religious leaders in the first verses, Jesus turns on these leaders and begins pronouncing woes upon them. The rest of the chapter contains rebuke after rebuke of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Jesus is calling them to come and submit to him and to bow before him, but they're not paying attention. We're going to take these on a couple at a time, starting with the first two, which are found in verses 13 and 15. Now, I have to explain something here. If you have a different version than what I'm reading from, you may have a verse 14 that I'm not going to read. And here's the reason. The translators of the New International Version, which I'm reading from, leave this verse out, and they do so in other places as well because the most reliable manuscripts that they've been able to find don't have these words. The words that are missing, they're found in Mark chapter 1240 and in Luke chapter 2047 in very different contexts. So they're likely Jesus' words, but Matthew probably didn't record them here. That's all we're saying. So we're going to take a look, and maybe later when we're in Mark or Luke, we'll take a look at those words about uh, widows and their houses and the things that the Pharisees were doing. But for now, we're going to read what the New International Version has, verses 13 and 15. Jesus begins his correction of the religious leaders that are standing before him on this particular day, and this is what it says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you play actors. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. <laughs> so much for gentle, gracious Jesus. Before we dig into Jesus' rebuke, let's define the word hypocrite here. Gene Rainey, in an article posted on wildfile.com, gives us this bit of help concerning the word. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word that looks like hypocrite, except it has a K, an actor or a stage player. It literally translates as an interpreter from underneath, which reflects that the actor spoke from underneath the mask. Eventually, the Greek word evolved to refer to any person who was wearing a figurative mask and pretended to be someone or something they were not. So Jesus is calling these guys out and showing everyone that they had this false front. They pretend to be upright and devout, but they're frauds. They could care less about God and what he wants. They're after prestige and power and everything that goes with it. And you'll see that as we move along. The first reproofs Jesus hands to them are about the way that they're trying to keep others from becoming citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom over which Jesus is sovereign ruler, and they aren't. And that's the problem, isn't it? They're not in charge of the kingdom of God, but they think that they can manipulate and use their clout to control other people. If you ever find yourself in the company of someone who's all about their own authority, someone who tries to tell you every move to make, someone who alone can hear from God and tell you what God wants for you, run. They are not from God. They are interlopers like these guys were. They're building their own kingdom rather than God's, and you will be led astray by folks like that. If you want wisdom... Listen to God. Through his written word, listen to him in prayer, privately and together with others. Check both as you read things and what you would believe you're hearing. Make sure you're checking that with other trusted friends as well. People who love Jesus. With your faith in Christ and your heart tuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you can discern God's way for you. You are a child of the King who can hear from him. Again, you can check things with your trusted friends who believe in Jesus and follow him. But you can hear from the Holy Spirit. You, any believer, can hear from him. I offer this one word of caution. If you think that you're hearing God say, go for it, concerning something which he speaks against or calls sin, you are not hearing from God. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to do wrong. Listen to what James wrote to the church Concerning God and temptation, these words are his. I'm reading James 1, 13 to 15. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If you hear a voice telling you that sin is okay, it is not God's voice. You are hearing your own desires, your own flesh, or the devil. You are not hearing from God. If you believe God is promoting sin, William Penn said, that's just delusional. Our holy God does not encourage sin ever. 
Go after God. Test the words of those who teach you against what his written word says. Listen to the Holy Spirit as you're hearing God's word. Pray for direction and follow God. Don't follow me. Follow God. I'll try not to lead you astray in what I say, but follow God. All right, enough about these first woes. We're ready for verses 16 to 24. Jesus has more to say. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he's bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gannet, but swallow a camel. It's not a gannet, I know. The men that Jesus is addressing are good at creating wiggle room to let themselves off the hook. Especially when following through would cost them or make things difficult. Well, I didn't swear by the gold of the temple, so I'm going to back out of that agreement. On another issue, they're extremely legalistic. They've got their tweezers and magnifying glasses out and every little seed, nine for me, one for God, nine for me, one for God. Little teeny tiny, I mean, think about mustard seeds or something like that, how hard it is to get those things to be where you want them anyway. They're doing that. Every tenth one belongs to God and they're legalistic about that, but they're missing out on the more important things, being just and merciful and faithful to others. Jesus takes away their wiggle room on the first matter. Actually, he took it away long before this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke about oaths and banned them completely. For those who are going to be in the kingdom, he has banned oaths. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37, he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Be a man of your word. Be a trustworthy woman. Be honest. When you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. It's that simple. As for tithing, Jesus seems to say that it's okay to do that, but not at the expense of the more important matters. Make sure that you're, you're not nitpicky about tithing to the penny while treating others poorly. Be just, be merciful, be faithful. These are the attitudes which make others excited about following the king. Let's read a little bit more. We're ready for verses 25 to 28. 
This is the last section we're going to deal with. We just don't have time to cover the whole chapter. So we're going to do the more applicable sections together today. Now hear what verses 25 to 28 says. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Keeping up appearances is worth nothing if your heart is full of darkness. Smiling and speaking kind words to someone while harboring hatred in your heart toward them is pure evil. Such fakery is evidence that you don't belong to God at all. Those who have received grace give grace. At the end of 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, we have these words from John the Apostle. He says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. What's inside matters more than outward actions. I'm not telling you not to act kindly, of course. I'm just encouraging you to take care of your own heart Take care of your heart first and foremost. That takes faith in Christ. He's the only one who can clean up the inside. Go to him for salvation and for freedom from the power of sin. Earlier in 1 John, in the first chapter, verses 8 to 10, John says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. God alone can forgive and purify. He has to do that in us. So seek him. Go after him and be free. There is no other way. You can't shape up on your own. You've tried. It's not working, is it? You need help from the Holy Spirit. The picnic is over. You and I have heard from God's word. We've heard Jesus warn us. We've been warned about following those whose aim is clout and control. We've been warned about cleaning up the outside while ignoring inner wickedness. We've heard Jesus rebuke our own tendency to create wiggle room so that we can do what we want. And he's confronted our tendency to be super legalistic while being unjust and merciless. What do you need to do with Jesus' words? You've heard him. How are you going to obey? I want you to consider that all-important question now, and I'll give you just a minute or two to pray and to listen and to respond to God. Because we can't just point fingers at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees and all these people whom Jesus rebuked and not allow him to show us where we need to change, where his spirit wants to make us pure and how he wants to make us more like Jesus. Amen? 
So let's take just a few moments and allow God to speak to us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we desire to be your children and citizens of your kingdom submitted to you in everything. Not trying to show off or grab power or push our own agenda, but to bring glory to you. God, help us to do the good that you've created us in Christ Jesus, that you saved and created us in Christ Jesus to do. Not for our own glory, but for yours. Help us to point people to your son, both with our words and with our actions. Amen. I want you to hear again Jesus' words recorded for us. And if you want to seek to become great in the kingdom, here's the way. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May we live by those humbling words this week. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.